0: All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode number 17. Seventeen. Seventeen, the Recovery Lab Podcast Series. I'm Drew Hassan.
1: I'm Daniel Anderson.
0: We're the we're the, we're the recovery lab. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So uh, departing from tradition, we're gonna start off with uh, we have these fantastic hoodies that we're trying to sell that you can order from either Daniel or me on Facebook. Just send us a message. The proceeds go to support what we're doing here. We can't bring y'all bang-up content without your help. So please check out the hoodies. I'm wearing one right now.
1: Yeah, they're pretty awesome. They are pretty awesome.
0: Uh, They're cozy, warm, fashionable. Like I said, if Kimberly Hassan thinks they're good-looking, you know they are.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) To do (laughs) <laughs> All right. So without further ado, round two, not everybody knows this, but we have recorded this podcast with Brad before and we had a technical snafu,
1: a minor, yeah. minor glitch, a minor glitch that deleted the whole thing. It, it, it just, it, it, whatever it happens. Ones and zeros. Yeah. Corrupt. This one's going to be Corrupted even better.
0: It. Yeah. Well, you know, practice makes perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Brad, thank you so much, man. I yeah. appreciate it, buddy.
1: Thank you.
2: No problem. Glad to be here.
1: Absolutely.
0: Let's get started. Yeah, knock it out. All man. right. So,
1: um, for for the listener and viewer, we are on TikTok right there. Hello, TikTok. Welcome. We did a test, and 430 people joined in the test, and it was a 10 minute test. So, hopefully, we'll be able to reach a lot of folks and uh, be able to normalize recovery with TikTok. So, without further ado. Uh, Brad, thank you so much, and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, and a little bit about Clear Path and how you're uh, changing the world.
2: Ah, well, I don't know about changing the world, but we're surely trying to help uh, as many families as we can along the way. Uh, you know, I'm a person in long-term recovery myself, and uh, you know, I experienced uh, a loved one that struggled with addiction. Uh, after I'd been sober for over a decade and I had another job and another career and you know, I was pretty terrified at risking anything but I had wanted to do interventions for a long time and I just was too scared to risk it but after going through that experience with my um, ex-wife I took the leap and the reason I took the leap is because when I, whenever she started to struggle with a pretty severe opiate addiction uh the thought i had was you know who better to help manage this situation who better to help her try and navigate this and get back to a better place and somebody's been in recovery for so long and i couldn't have botched it more than i did and the reason for that is that when you love somebody it doesn't really matter how much recovery you got all bets are off it doesn't matter if you're an addictionologist or a, a therapist that specializes in addiction uh when it's your own family, it's it's almost impossible impossible to be um, emotionally grounded and to handle a situation like that, like you would if it professionally, if it wasn't. So
1: yeah, it's almost like you have blinders on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So after going through all that, I thought to myself, you know, hey, here I am after this is over and we'd split up and I was trying to move on with my life and, and, um, you know, I thought to myself, if I screwed it up with, with over a decade in recovery as bad as I did, what about the other families out there that don't have any knowledge around all this stuff? How, how ill-equipped are they? And so I sort of took a leap and, and uh, started, uh, resigned from my old job and started talking to people in recovery. And I started working for treatment centers right off the bat and found out really quickly uh, within a year that that was really not my passion. And when I made that leap and resigned from my job, the promise I made to myself was that I would do and find something that truly made me click and made me really want to, to, to get involved every day. And I thought maybe that was it. And it turned out it wasn't, I mean, I liked it a whole lot more than my old career, if I'm honest, but, but, uh, I wanted to work on the front line with the families and the clients that are out there struggling with mental health and substance use, And so I went and got trained as an interventionist the first time and got hooked up with a company, uh, and, Called Family First Intervention, and they do probably more interventions than any other company in the in the nation. And I, I worked as a contract interventionist for them uh, in the beginning, and uh, they sent me out thirty-two times in the first year. Wow! And so I gained uh, a lot of experience really quickly that I never would have gotten on my own if I had just started the company and started marketing my own, my own services. And so fortunately for me, as as time went on, uh, I got busy enough with my company where I wasn't able to do any work for for family first anymore. And so I uh, ended up getting into a situation where I couldn't even do it on my own. And so I had to reach out for help. And now we've got three other interventionists that work for us and a director of services. And and so we uh, we have a model that we we use and a modality that we use that uh, We are extremely proud of Uh, it's 100% love and respect it's not about shaming a person or telling them they've made poor decisions or that they're an alcoholic or a drug addict any of those things we have found that love works and love always conquers now. um, It's a process, you know an intervention is a process it's not an event. And what that means is that we are there to guide the families from the first phone call that they make to us when they're pretty much in crisis, all the way through the planning stages of the intervention, uh, which, believe it or not, is 80% focused around the people connected to the person struggling, not the actual addict, through the intervention and then you know for as long as they need us afterwards. Uh, we have found that if we can help the family heal at the same time the facility they choose with our guidance uh, is working on the loved one struggling that everybody can get better. And that's what makes me click. That's what I found. And I didn't know that was going to be the case when I jumped in necessarily. But man, did it become that and and now uh, I spend my days supporting family members uh, and supporting uh, the, the people that are that are really, you know, if you think about it, you got a person that's struggling with addiction. and everybody's heard it's a family disease everybody's heard, right right but but really break that down for a second you can you can you can say that if there's if there's a person struggling with addictions there's at least five people around that person that are directly being affected by that cycle of addiction right and so the the biggest thing we found is that that those are the people that have more impact in helping helping that person gain long-term recovery by learning and how to support their person in the right way moving forward, rather than continuing to react the way they have in the past. Makes sense.
1: Yeah, so that's where Clear Path really shines is educating individuals to help them deal with life with an addict or an alcoholic from the moment that you leave and 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 right. get out of the picture. So you, it it is absolutely, and it was with me as well. It was a family disease that affected everyone that was around me um, negatively. And, um, you know, had my parents not had support, um, we, we, you know, it, it, it would not have been pretty. And my parents go to a, um, a 12 step, uh, support group for, uh, family members that are, you know, affected with alcoholism. Out of respect, I'm not going to say any names or anything, but uh, a family-oriented 12-step program that's unbelievably helpful. So basically, you are you are on the front lines. You are coming in and you are helping these people understand that, hey, it's not necessarily anything they did wrong. Now, granted, trauma can cause issues, but that's a whole other thing. You you are wanting to you take the place of somebody who has been through it. You're able to talk with these individuals and explain exactly what has gone on and how they're, again, they're not at fault, but it is going to require work on their part in order for there to be success oftentimes with the loved one or individual affected with the alcohol or addiction. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the families have a whole lot more power than they think. They just, n- there's no handbook for marriage or parenting. and insurance sure it's not one for this. I say that, you know, at the same time I have our manual that we actually use in the intervention process. And so what, what happens is they call in, we discuss the case, we decide if they want to build a team and a unified front to approach the loved one with respect and love. And then, we'd have a conference call with the entire team and we develop uh, a, a, we set up two days, you know, and the first day is what we call the family day. That's just for the team. and we go through that material, I just pulled up and, and by the end of that day, everybody is, they see the problem differently than they have before. And they also see the solution differently than right. they have before. And it's a transformative process for everybody we work with. You know, one of my guys is in New York uh, right now in Buffalo doing one and, and he said yesterday when it started, everybody was sort of you know happy-go-lucky, trying to kind of be ha- be funny around the situation. And by the end of the day, everybody was crying because they realized that that they had actually contributed to the cycle of addiction without meaning to.
1: Right, and I want and again, I,
2: like you said, not anybody's fault. It's right, their fault.
1: I want to focus on one thing that you said a couple minutes ago, which was there the families have power, and oftentimes in the grips of addiction, the family, the, the, the family surrounding the addict or alcoholic can completely feel powerless and completely helpless and feel like there's literally nothing they can do. But what it sounds like and what it's been in my experience is if the family is unified, if there is someone that steps in and helps educate the family and unify the family, so it's a solid front that this addict is now going to you know, come up against to you know help with not enabling and things like that. Just get everybody on the same page. When everybody's on the same page, there's strength in numbers. Am I right?
2: Absolutely. So absolutely, that's another. And you, you guys can probably both attest to the fact that you know. I know for me, everybody that cared about me in the last couple of years of my drinking and using drugs tried to sit me down individually right. and explain to me that I needed to do something different that my life was going in the wrong direction and. And I was able to manipulate my way out of those situations really easily right? Uh, because that, those are manipulations that we learn in our addiction. And so when you create that unified front and everybody's on the same page and the person can no longer manipulate their way out, then you change the game, right. you change the landscape. And, Absolutely. and the, the, the truth is the intervention is actually for the family, treatments for the client.
1: Right. Absolutely. So I think it's a great thing you're doing.
0: You mentioned earlier the modality <clears throat> that y'all employ at ClearPath. Are there? Is did you mean that in like a hyper technical sense? Like we subscribe to the Minnesota method of interventions as opposed to the right. the Florida method, I mean, right?
2: So what what we've done, what I've done, is, is take everything I've learned from multiple intervention trainings and, and a couple hundred of interventions that I've done on my own and, and sort of make a hybrid of it all uh, and kind of put in what we feel is effective and take out what we feel is not effective. You know, there's different ways to do interventions. There's no doubt. People, some people come in with letters that each family member is telling the person, you know, how their addiction has affected them. And it, it shames the addict, and mm-hmm. we feel that's absolutely the, the opposite of what we need to do. Um, it, it's 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 a it's a really it's a really soft approach on the front end, and almost ninety percent of the time, it works on the day of the intervention. But we have we do get more firm if we need to, but it's still firm in a very loving and respectful way. It's never to shame or make the person feel guilty or make the, make them feel like they have to defend themselves because once you do that, you guys know We're in recovery. We shut down. Exactly. You're not, we're not hearing a damn word. You're saying,
1: yeah, we put up that wall, make
2: us feel that. Mm
1: -hmm. Right.
2: And so the object for us is to keep them from, from putting up that wall long enough for them to to make an emotional decision based on the love and support that we're showing them. We're not looking for an addict and active addiction to make a logical decision. It's never going to happen. Right. Right. But we can pull and open their heart if we do it correctly. And and it, you know, We've dealt with some very difficult cases and the family oftentimes thinks that, you know, this is never going to work, but we got to try something. Right. And then it
1: works. Right. It just works. Yeah. And a lot of times another thing, and I just keep going, like this just keeps popping in my head. As to like somebody, a listener may be listening and thinking, well, my pastor could do this or somebody that, you know, as a family friend could could do the same thing as an interventionist. Well, the the difference between a family friend, a preacher, somebody that's, you know, a trusted family family member is they don't have the hundreds of interventions under their belt like you do. You don't they don't have necessarily the experience. Of all of these different scenarios and situations under their belt to be able to tap into in order to help other people. So just one more notch in why it's important and why it's a great thing to look into uh, interventions. You know, especially if you know you're at your wits' end. You know, there is hope. There are trained professionals for the listener. There are trained professionals out there that do this day in day out. They eat, drink, and sleep addiction and recovery. And if you if you feel like you are at your absolute wits end, don't give up. Don't give up on us. Don't give up, please. Try something. You know, in Clear Path Interventions is absolutely going to be a great place to start. But there's any any intervention interventionist rather um, that has experience is going to be much better suited. to to help you out than just a, you know, a trusted family friend. So uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm going on about that. I just felt real passionate about that real quick.
2: Yeah. You know, and we talked about this last time, but since we're re-recording I'll, I'll say it again. You know, addiction is the only disease on the planet where the patient fights to stay sick. Right. You know, that's the only disease on the planet that tells us we don't have it. Right. And it's the only disease on the planet where family members tend to listen to their neighbor or their aunt or their best friend instead of listening to people that are professionals that do this for a living. It's weird. I don't understand it. It's always been that way and it may always be that way. Right. But the reality is that this was cancer and somebody was dealing with cancer they would be at MD Anderson in Texas following every suggestion of that doctor and I'm not saying I'm a doctor I'm just saying I have a lot of experience and my team has a lot of experience walking family members and their teams through this entire process right. not just the intervention but long afterwards to help them you know create a long-term recovery plan right that's part of our job as well part of our job is to help them navigate treatment
1: right and on top find the best right. spot and on top of that you can tap into your personal experience as as a person in recovery as well, you know, that's something that a preacher or, you know, family friend, your aunt Nancy or whatever, it's not going to, you know, always be, you know, well-qualified to help out on that, on that level, unless they've kind of walked through it and you have.
0: Talk to, tell people about how you, what is the metric for success? Is it getting the person into treatment because I can see an argument for, well, look, it was successful. We, we, you know, we got them into Copac 2.0 or, uh, defining wellness or someplace. Uh, but I can also see, you know, with your focus on educating the family as a unit, uh, how success can be, how they deal with the addict going forward. How, how do you That's right.
1: I reminded we
0: had. had, I'm I'm sorry. Let me just throw this out here real quick. We had a guy on here the other night, who I don't believe has an addiction problem, and he, uh, his sister-in-law OD'd and died. Mm. He deals. He helps his brother deal with that.
1: Takes in his three kids. Takes
0: in the brother's three kids. A year later, the brother OD's and dies, and the brother had just gotten out of treatment, and. So if people, if a family can come to you, they can maybe become better prepared to deal with relapse and to deal with the obstacles that come after treatment. Is that part of the intervention plan?
2: 100%. Yeah. Like I said, it's 80% focused on the people around the person struggling that's the most time we spend. That's why the first day that we spend with the family and the family day is, you know, six to eight to 10 hours, depending on how many people And the intervention usually lasts an hour or two, right? Right? So, you know, it's, we, addicts are really predictable, believe it or not. You know, we've learned what we're going to say in these situations, what we're going to do in these situations and we've learned how to overcome objections to treatment we've learned how to help the families you know create a healthy boundary and learn how to help them keep that healthy boundary you know and then pain is the motivator for change guys right i right. mean most of us don't change until there's some pain involved even if we're in recovery i still don't change unless there's some pain involved <laughs> you know yeah. and the family they're, they're just at their wits end and they're lost and they feel hopeless. And, and this is bringing in somebody that's a professional to guide them through the entire thing and long afterwards and help them enter into their own form of recovery. And I don't mean go into treatment. Like people, when people say that they're like, Oh my God, you're going to make the whole family go to treatment. No, we're going to give them resources and support them and help them find a way to get peace regardless Of what that person does because let's be honest you talk about success the reality is we can't control the addict right right we can't force them to do anything the only control we have in our lives is our actions and our reactions and if the family can learn how to react differently and then the right way moving forward they stand a chance at helping that person get better long term i mean it increases their odds tenfold but it also helps that family find peace no matter what happens right
1: it's awesome
2: i love it we spend our whole, our whole addiction trying to control right? right trying to control and enjoy it right and the family spends all their time trying to control and manage the addict right you can't do that either look right? if but there's people... a ton of stuff out there for families there's a ton of stuff that a lot of people don't even know about
0: right let's try to get some of those resources out there how can p pe- if a family if somebody was listening to this their cousin, their nephew, their son-in-law, whatever, might need an intervention, how could they reach ClearPath?
2: So we have a website, obviously, uh, clearpathintervention.com. It has an 866 number and an 850 number if you're relatively local to Pensacola. Uh, We have a team, uh, myself and my director of services, that most likely be one of the people that answers those phone calls. Um, We have a Facebook page as well. Uh, with some videos and stuff on it. Uh, We do, you know, a little bit of social media stuff on TikTok as well. So all of those platforms have a way to get in touch with us. Uh, Most of the time, like I said, it's me or my director of services that actually answer the phone. So you're not calling some huge company that has 50 interventionists at all over the country. You're calling, there's a team of five of us and we don't want to be any bigger than that. because we want to be able to give the personal touch to every single family we work with. And we want to treat those families just like it's our family.
1: Yeah. Don't want your, don't
2: want your
0: responsiveness lost in bureaucracy.
2: Yeah. Right. Absolutely.
0: What are some resources out there that somebody could, that you were referencing if a family member wanted to learn more, where should, where could they start?
2: About intervention or about just getting better as a family?
0: I mean, just better as a family, whatever. I mean,
2: so uh, there's a book called It Takes a Family. Uh, Carver Brown and I are big on that book. Um, what we tell families a lot of times, is to, it's, it's, it was written by Deborah Jay and uh, Jeff Jay, who are the creators of Love First Model of Intervention, which is a great deal of what we use at ClearPath. Uh, but that book, uh, if, you, if somebody grabs that book and reads the first 35 pages of it and then pick up the phone and call us, they will understand why we're doing what we're doing and why it works right, right? It, it, and there's that and there's also a place called the heron project uh, h-e-r-r-o-n HeronProject.org, which is uh, a full service family support group that's run by a licensed clinician so it's not uh like some of your 12-step type stuff there's actually a therapist in there and it's free right so they have support groups for people who have lost loved ones They have support groups for people who are currently dealing with the loved one. Uh, I have sent so many people to that Heron project uh, meetings that they started referring clients back to me and I've never met anybody or talked to anybody at the
1: place. So also, okay. So interventions are when, when you compare the, the cost for an intervention to losing a family member, obviously it's, always going to be worth it. But there are some folks that just aren't situated financially to be able to hire someone to come on, um, you know, in the capacity that maybe somebody at ClearPath would, would come to you. So is there a, is there a service or something that maybe still retains the, um, you know, the help that you offer with maybe a little bit lower price point to be able to get absolutely. help or tell us about yeah, that.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, first, but first, you know, interventions, are, they can be very expensive. We are on the lower end of the scale as far as price point for interventions. And we will stay that way, uh, because we want as many people to be able to access our services as possible. But like you said, Danny, I mean, there's people out there that don't have anywhere near enough money to send somebody to treatment or to pay for an intervention. And so in that situation, Uh, A friend of mine named Sam Davis, who is another interventionist, has created a website called Intervention on Call, and there are about 10 or 12 of us that own our own companies and are interventionists on that website, and so the client can go to that website and and select me or any other interventionist if they want, and then we set up a consultation. Uh, It's uh, much less expensive, and our job at that point as interventionists is to give you everything we've got. Uh, whether it's a one hour consultation and that's all they can afford or whether they decide, Hey, we can afford a, a three of them. And let's really try and get them prepared to conduct the best form of an intervention they can on their own. You know, nothing replaces that uh, objective emotionally grounded person. That's not emotionally attached to walk through, but, but if it's not, we want to be able to do something right? You know, rather than nothing. And so, I, I've been on the platform for a few months now, and I have walked a couple families through. Uh, one of which was very successful. One of which they just they just never did it. You know, they 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 were too scared. You know, and a lot of times that's what families—they're too scared to approach us in active addiction, and so they just continue to walk on eggshells around us, and and it's just a really sad thing.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So, and and that website again, one more time for the listener.
2: Intervention on call
1: dot com or yes dot okay intervention on dot com listener go check it out at the very least it's a good resource to have in your back pocket
0: amen no
2: doubt
0: well I'm trying to think of I think we we did a more succinct job this go round than we did the last time. yeah
1: yeah it was kind of all <laughs> over the place before
0: we laid it out
1: yeah absolutely.
0: Well, one thing if, we did talk well, about. Well, I mean, there's
2: was, always, go ahead, sorry. No, no,
0: no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
2: There's always uh, the talk, um, the two crazy, the, the scary words for family members, tough love. Right. Right. Uh, it's another one of those situations where there's misconceptions around uh, our active addiction with the general public, and, and people tend to implement tough love in the wrong way. Right, they listen to the neighbor, and the neighbor says, Well, I had a daughter, I just kick her out. So that's tough love the wrong way, right? Tough love the right way is setting a healthy boundary with a solution sitting right there in a wide open door for the person struggling with addiction. So, no, you can't stay here anymore. But the second you're ready to help yourself, we are all the entire family is behind you a million percent. And this is your open door. Here's where we've got this place for you to go. So that's how you do it right. You know, tough love is not a punishment. It's not an attempt to manipulate somebody. and It's never to be, you know, implemented in anger or revenge or spite or any of that stuff. It's the single most effective approach for long-term recovery of a family. It's basically setting
1: setting healthy boundaries, right?
2: Look, I'm reminded of that. So what if we change tough love? What if we change tough love to what it really means, right? Boundaries, consequences, and accountability. Would that make it easier to digest?
1: Yeah. Right?
2: right. And so, family's biggest fear is their loved ones saying no to treatment. Right. That's, that's when we do this process, that's their biggest fear. But what if this is what they're really saying? You know, no, I'm not going to treatment. What if this translates to, I'm not changing anything and you aren't either, family? Is the family okay with that? Right. No. You know it's not okay to light yourself on fire to keep them warm you know sometimes an intervention is about a family taking their lives back right you know it's it's most of these moms and dads and spouses that are out there living with this stuff their entire life has been upended and it's addiction is systematically destroying their family right and so this process that we provide is about It's about stopping that. And it's not only about that, it's about, you know, let's not sit around. And the the other biggest misconception out there, in my opinion, about addiction is that people say you got to wait for them to hit bottom before they're ever going to get better. All right, you got to wait. So so let's play that plan out. We're just going to sit around as family members and we're going to wait for some horrible event to happen, whether it's a DUI or worse. And we're going to pray that when that event happens, suddenly our loved one sees things for what they are and decides to get better how many bottoms did you guys have that didn't work
1: um, 800 yeah.
2: right right <laughs> a bottom is a feeling right it's not an event right and, and the general public thinks it's an event so a bottom is when you know uh, we all of a sudden realizes that, that our the consequences of our life decisions, have brought us to a point where getting, doing something different to get better is a better option than continuing on the same path we've been on. All right. We all have that moment in recovery. Mine was in the fourth treatment center at 29 years old. All of a sudden I went, well, shit, you know, Brad, you've been fighting this thing since you were 14 years old and you're 29. Do you really want to fight it into your thirties? Right. Cause you haven't won at all so far. You know, and that was one of those insightful moments that I hadn't treatment. And and the next one was, you know, I had at least two family members and many other people tell me that if I would follow this recovery plan that's out there, that my life would get better. And I thought to myself, who the hell am I to think they're all wrong? And I'm right. Right. I'm the one sitting in the fourth treatment center with nothing left to my name, but a beat up Toyota (laughs) Forerunner. You know, so it's a feeling. And, and, and we have to try and dispel all these uh, mis, misconceptions about addiction and recovery, which is obviously why you guys are doing what you're doing.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, but there's a lot of stuff out there. Right. That's why we, we talk like, and talk with individuals like yourself is because there's, you know, oftentimes our biggest enemy is misinformation or no information at all. You know, the, addiction and alcoholism is something that oftentimes is kind of looked down upon. Um, and not kind of it, it is looked down upon. Um, so, you know, the talking about something that's difficult oftentimes is something that's just easier not to do. And we've got that friend or we've got that family member that, yeah, we know that they're, you know, they stay drunk all the time and, you know, but you know, they're not necessarily, you know, they're, they're surviving, and it's easier just to not talk with them. It's not it, it easier to just brush it off instead of, you know, actually dealing with it because dealing with it um, takes work, and oftentimes people are either, um, you know, just completely uh, – they, they just don't want to do it. So what what we want to do here at Recovery Lab is, you know, soften that a little bit, make it to where – you know, it is okay to talk about you know a family member that may be struggling with somebody else, and it is okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to be, um, you know, to to not have all the answers. Um, so that that's that's our goal here, and it's it's lovely to be able to talk with individuals that are, you know, very very well trained and experienced in helping other people. Because you know, for us, it was. You know, we, we, Drew and I had our own, you know, shit that we dealt with. You know, I, I lived at Drew's house and he was shooting up in the, the bathroom and we were doing drugs together and, you know, doing scandalous things. And, you know, it, it just, you know, we want to be able to help people get out of that because I don't know about you, Drew, but looking back on that, that was not fun. It was awful. Yeah. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. So it's, it's beautiful to that, that you're out there doing this and that you're, you're out there helping folks. And it's just a beautiful thing. We want to normalize recovery, man. We want to do everything we can to help help. Amen. Yeah. yeah
2: I'm, and I'm, I'm proud of you guys for doing that. Um, anybody that's out there that is trying to help change the stigma. Is doing the right thing, in my opinion. You know what we do throughout our family day with that, you nope, know, with that uh, workbook I showed you, is help them understand addiction from an addict's perspective. Right. You know, a lot of families don't really understand that. You know, they, 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 they. Everybody's got their own ideas of how to fix the problem, and everybody wants to help the person fix the problem but everybody's usually trying to do it in their own way with their own ideas and not a whole lot of real formal training behind it, like you said. So it, it sort of creates this uh, disconnect within the family. Right. And, you know, people start fighting. People get resentments towards each other. The, the siblings are mad at mom and dad for continuing to enable or, or mom's mad at dad because he's enabling and she's not or vice versa or whatever. It just it, it, it really destroys the family system. And if we can, if we can bring that back to, you know, the center and help them understand, you know, you guys are a strong family, you know, and you're fully capable of moving forward and helping your person in the right way. You just need a little direction, right? Just like we need direction and recovery, man. I mean, we, I didn't know how to do anything before I got in recovery. Yeah, exactly. I had needed the direction of somebody who had been down that path. And so that's all this is, is taking a family down a path with direction that they didn't have before.
0: Let me, if you can, give me your observations on enabling in general. Yeah, that's good. What are things you have learned? Have you realized something that surprises you? What are the typical avenues of enabling? I mean, everybody knows money. I mean, if you're given... Right. Little Johnny money, he's giving it to Pookie and Run Run and they're getting, you know. But what are other ways that that families enable or generally things you've learned about enabling?
1: So
2: everybody that's connected to a person struggling with addiction is enabling in some way. Even if that's ignoring the problem. You know, that you gotta look at the message that comes to the addict's mind. If I'm ignoring the problem and the addict screwed up skewed mind that we have because it's a disease of perception that message comes to us keep doing what you're doing it's acceptable right so if the brother is ignoring the problem then the addict thinks that they can keep doing it. i mean just we don't see things for what they are uh, enabling is a funny thing you know one of the things we have in our book is that um, if you if an addict is happy with you you're probably enabling right. if they're mad at you you're probably trying to save their life it, you know, it, it's, yeah,
1: it's kind of that way.
2: Yeah, and and so what I always tell families is, is if we're if we're worried about whether something we're doing is enabling, you know, we ask ourselves this question: now, Did my loved one create this situation and its ensuing consequences?
1: Right. If the answer is
2: yes, how do I expect my loved one to grow and gain wisdom from facing consequences if I remove them? right right and, and so that and and, and here's the thing it, our society defines love as protect protection right and, and that's unfortunately for an addict that's not good you know we're protecting and we're taking away natural consequences from people in their lives and and what that does is, is create this message in our head that what we're doing is acceptable and if you combine that with the primary drive, Drug addict and al- an alcoholic, which is to create an environment with the least amount of discomfort and the most amount of comfort and to seek pleasure, right? You combine those two things, you got a messed up situation. Mm-hmm. So enabling, you know, it's nobody's fault.
0: How much of what it. you do with the family revolves around cessation of avenues of enabling?
2: So we actually have an entire – obviously an entire section on enabling that we go through on the family day. Uh, and, and the way it works – and this is usually a very enlightening perspective because most teams, you've got one individual on there that's like, yes, I'm the enabler. I know I am. I, I, this is my deal. And you've got the other person that's like hardcore – Punisher type, like you know, get your craft together. The hanging joke. Why you just can't. Yeah, I know why you just can't stop. Right. And then you got siblings and friends on the outskirts that are enabling in different ways. And so we kind of identify those roles for one. Like, are you the helper? Are you are you the punisher? Are you the martyr? All those things. But then on top of that, we have a a list of 27 things. And so it says, check off anything that you've done. Uh, in the in the past or in the current situation that you're in for your addict, and it's got all these things like bail them out of jail, taking over their responsibilities, you know, letting them live in your home, letting them use your car—all those things that we know are enabling. And when the family's done checking that thing off, uh, you know, sometimes you've got team members that are that are a little bit far removed, so they don't check that many. But if you've got close family members, a lot of them will check. You know, eighteen to twenty-three of the twenty-seven. All right, and so at the end of that that page in the manual they're like oh shit Mm -hmm. like i didn't realize all this stuff was enabling too and so once we've identified our enabling behaviors that's critical to change right so the next the next part we go through is okay now we've identified it what are we willing to stop as a family what are we willing to do differently as a family because we know If we keep doing what we've been doing, our loved one is going to continue to behave and react the same way they have. So the only power we have in this situation is to change the way we react
1: and stick to it. And
2: yeah. And families are like, it's crazy. You see their eyes get big and they're like, I just never saw it for what it was. So it's funny. I always talk about one of the biggest gifts of recovery is on a good day. I can see things for what they are. Now it's kind of morphed down with what we do. It's, With the families, on a good day in recovery, I can see things for what they are, and I can teach somebody else to see things for what they are. Right. Because the family, it's not their fault. that They're just drawn into this dysfunctional system around the person struggling.
0: I think a lot of what these people probably lack, like I have seen in my own life how, in my own recovery story, how there was a long period where I, just honest to God, didn't have any hope that things would ever get any better. And, you know, it's like you're stuck in Groundhog Day, but with addiction, and you just can't see, waka waka waka, a clear clear path out. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. But I think it's interesting how, how you're able to help them, the family, get hope and realize that, yes, I can stop giving Drew money. And yes, he's going to say, why do you hate me? But he doesn't mean it. Right. You know, I think of some of the cruel things that I said to my parents in furtherance right. of getting more resources. Right. Be it a place Just to stay. Toxic. Yeah, absolutely toxic. And me
2: too.
0: I mean, sorry, mama. Uh, yeah, me
1: too. Sorry, mom.
2: Me too. Sorry, mom. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think, what would I do if my child said that to me, and I I would die inside, yeah. Yeah. I would. I mean, the, the misery visited upon those that love drug addicts is profound and Absolutely. abundant. And look, I think you do. Oh, It really opened my eyes just listening to you talk about how the, the main, pers- main things we're trying to help Is the family. Right. Those in orbit around the sick individual. Right. Because they've got as much healing to do, albeit in different ways.
1: Well, there's numerous of them in one attic. Like, it's hard to address the family. Like, that's where the power is going to come in, is getting everybody, like you were talking about, on that unified front, you know?
0: this is the benefit well, to having somebody like you exactly with the experience to help navigate and to recognize and to recognize those interpersonal relationships. Like you mentioned siblings a few times and I thought, wow, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. I guess if I had a sibling that did not, didn't, I mean, my brother has, you know, his own struggles and uh, you know, we were both doing shady things, right? And, you know, if we had a straight and narrow sibling I want, you know, they probably resent the shit.
2: out. There. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, it's in, in, in a, a good way you know, I think to frame it up for people is, you know, even if you don't do an intervention, um, and your person just goes to treatment, right? What happens is the family takes a big deep breath. Maybe the first deep breath they've taken in a <sighs> long time, and they go back to their lives and status quo, and they really don't learn anything. Some treatment centers have really robust family programs, but but most of them do not. And so their person goes away, they stay for 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is. And they come back out and they're doing better, they feel better, they look better, and a couple months down the road, they have a life event that is super stressful. It doesn't have to be like, you know, but let's say they get laid off from their job or something. And they're better in recovery now, but they know they've never been, they haven't been clean and sober long enough to learn how to behaviorally react well to stressors in life. So there's, they're usually going to react. They may not pick up drugs and alcohol, but they may act a fool about it. Mm-hmm. And so if the family hasn't learned anything while they're gone, the family then reacts the same way they've always reacted to that person.
0: Those are, yeah, they those freak all, out. Mm-hmm. They resort right. to those they, old patterns.
2: Right. Right. And then the cycle of addiction just starts, whether that person picks up drugs and alcohol right then or not, doesn't really matter. The cycle within the family system starts over, which all usually ends up ending in the person picking up drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we created a six week family course for people that don't even do an intervention. They just happen to be able to get their loved one to treatment. So we do that as well. So we go over all the things that we teach them, you know, in an intervention setting uh, without doing the intervention. Uh, oh. Because we feel, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, a couple of years ago, I mean, I get calls all the time of people that don't need an intervention. They're just trying to find the right place to go to treatment. And we love doing that. We call it treatment navigation. And then I realized a couple of years ago that I was just doing those and sending those people to the right place. And then I would move on to the next case and the next intervention. And, I, and those families that were calling me, they weren't getting anything. They were getting a place to go to their level of treatment, but they weren't getting any of the things that we teach families. Right. So we created that course, you know, to help people as well. And it's just an online one hour a week Zoom course that we do for, for family members. Really? What are some of the, uh, uh,
0: what are, what is the metric for you determining where a good fit is when you're doing treatment navigation?
1: Yeah.
2: So, I mean, that's, that's a loaded question, right? Because it really depends on the client. It really depends on, we, we do a, an assessment similar to what a therapist would do if you walk into their office and said, hey, I need you know, like if the, if the uh, DUI people made you go to get some kind of assessment done, we right. do an assessment similar to that. And, and by learning as much as we possibly can, ours is probably deeper than most, uh, we then determine based on, you know, history. Uh, with drugs and alcohol history, with mental health history, with suicide possibly, history with uh, you know trauma, uh, abuse. All those things play into what makes the most sense for each client. And so, we when we do an intervention, part of our job is to provide them with three options, and we provide them with three options based on what their resources are. Right, right. Because a lot of people don't have. You know, some of these facilities are super expensive and some people can access and some people can't. So we have facilities that are eight hundred dollars. We have facilities that are twenty five hundred dollars. We have facilities that go all the way up to crazy money. Right. right. But our job is to find the best spot with our resources and our network of the people that we work with and trust to find that spot for your loved one right because if you get on google and try and find treatment it's a rabbit hole oh yeah you don't want to go down i mean
0: thousands malibu
2: yeah here we go i mean there's 20 i learned this yesterday from sam uh twenty nine thousand eight hundred treatment centers in the
0: united states good god well listen if you ever need to get anybody in a free faith-based place yeah i've got your back you told me that yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah,
2: there's a place
0: in loosdale where i went I'm still friends with the people down there. I try to navigate people there as often as I can. I mean, there's... I can
2: tell you I will. If you trust them, I will call you on those because I don't really work with facilities unless I know somebody personally there that I trust or that I know somebody that they know like you guys uh, that, firm, that firmly believes in what they do and trust that they're going to do what's best for the patient. You well, know, so I, I treat mean, every look, family...
0: You know, it th- there's you know faith based places have a different approach sure. uh in it was good for me uh i think because i mean it it was just you know it met me at a, at the right time in my life desperation drove me and i needed somewhere to go and it was free and they love on you and you know help you try to become reintroduced into society they just have a different spiel about it sure you know sure
1: there's lots of different paths to recovery
2: no doubt no doubt Um, but yeah i mean it's we treat every family we work with as if it was one of our own family members we were trying to place in treatment uh you know there there's a lot of places out there that you do not want to send somebody and and a lot of those especially google related you know they've treatment centers have got marketing firms that are paid extremely large amounts of money to make that place look awesome Right. And I'm not saying that they necessarily put pictures that aren't real on there or anything like that, but they make it look different than it is. And they definitely, they tout it in a way that they can treat almost anything. Like we can treat gambling, we can treat eating disorders, we can treat addiction. gay, really, gay, bullshit. Right. You know, you, there, there, you know, most facilities, there's only a few facilities in the country that can truly treat an eating disorder at the same time as an addiction right they're not that's a whole different thing and so when we get those calls we have to help educate families like listen i know it says that on that website but i'm telling you this is a place that's billing your insurance and they're not going to give your loved one what they need just not
0: the first time i ever had anything to do with anybody with an eating disorder uh, was when i went to bridge to recovery and we Mm -hmm. had you know a group and there were some ladies in there that had that were being treated for having an eating disorder and I thought, man, how hard must that be? Yeah. Because, you know, it's not like I go to treatment and uh, Carver or Denise or whoever is going to teach me how to safely do meth three times a day. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. th- those people. Substances gotta, are
1: very black and white. You have to eat. Right, right. Right. I
2: mean, and the same is true yeah, with sex I addiction. Don't know, I don't know enough about, I, I, I thankfully have found a few people that I, that are in that part of the recovery world and, and the eating disorder and i i lean on them a hundred percent and i put mm-hmm. families in touch with them because these people they're they're as well versed in the eating disorder world as we are in the intervention world sure and so you know we're not afraid to reach out i don't think i know everything i mean i'll be honest with you guys everything you've heard me say today i learned from somebody else sure you know i didn't create this stuff
0: well we, we all stand on it. the shoulders and of giants i mean that's yeah how, that's right. you know right.
1: But, you, you know, you put your own spin on it. You learn what works best for you and how you're most effective with individuals and, and you run with that, you know. And so, yeah, absolutely, yeah, you did have, you know, help from learning from other people. But you then turn into an individual who's unbelievably capable of doing something that you're passionate about to the best of your ability in your way you know, you can, you can build upon what you've learned. And then the next person down the line will be able to look at you and be acutely aware of how you do things and improve on that for them. You know, it's, it's, I love it.
2: Yeah. And it took me some time, you know, we talked about pains and motivators for change, took me a lot of time to find the the people that I have working for ClearPath now, because it was really hard for me to find people that I knew would put as much passion and effort into each family as I did. Sure. I just, I had to be able to trust that. Right. Right. And that's a hard thing to find because, you know, people call me every week. Hey man, I want to do interventions. What do I do? Right. Uh, It's, 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 you gotta, you gotta have this certain personality for it. You gotta be able to sit down with this family and feel with them what's going on with them and help them understand in a way that they really can, walk away from it, grasping a different viewpoint on the solution.
1: Right. And I I imagine, I imagine, sorry, it's that it's very easy for someone to call you up and say, Hey, I want to do interventions and then them portray passion and being passionate about helping folks. Uh, But then like a little bit down the line, they just kind of, they start phoning it in. And so it's important that you have this training to be able to recognize, you know, you are very good at what you do. And it's important that you are educated enough within your field to be able to recognize the guy that's going to just phone it in in a couple of weeks or, you know, in a month or so. And the guy that actually is genuinely passionate about helping folks. So, again, it's, you know, somebody who is unbelie- unbelievably passionate and professional about what you do. It takes someone like that to be able to, you know, attract five folks that you trust that you are that you trust with your life basically to be able to sit down with this family and not lead them astray. Am I right? Well, you know,
2: you guys know we don't like, we don't like giving up control. Right. Sure. And that's what, that's what I had to do. You know, I had, to, we got so busy that I had to reach out for help and there was pain involved. So I was ready to change it. And then I had to find these people and, and that meant me giving up control and guys, that, that was not easy because I wanted to be the one that dealt with every family from mm-hmm. the first call all the way to the end. And I still do a whole lot Uh and I, you know, I still do interventions all the time. It's not right. like I'm, you know, sort of in an administrative position at all. Cause I'm still on the front lines all the time, but we just got busy enough to where I couldn't do them all by myself. Right. And so we had to find some help.
1: So th- it begs the question. We've talked about a lot of heavy stuff today, a lot of heavy things. Right. And it has to be, yes, I know that you're passionate about it and you love it and you love helping people, but it has to take a toll on you yourself. How do you decompress at the end of the day and leave work at work and home at home what what do you do to keep yourself healthy Wow it's a
2: great question uh, when I decided to move into this field uh, in recovery in general I sat down with uh, with three people you guys all know um, Brian O'Shea oh
1: yeah
2: yeah Todd Thompson oh yeah and Carver Brown
1: three winners Unsolicited,
2: yeah unsolicited all three of them told me the same thing brad you're going to be incredible at this we know you are no matter what aspect of it you do please make sure you promise me one thing you'll separate your own recovery from what you do right and i don't know that i would have understood and internalized that if it hadn't come from three people that didn't know all three of them were saying right right and so my first thing is to make sure I'm taking care of my own recovery,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: That's, that's just, otherwise it gets really muddy uh, in this field. Uh, and the second thing is self-care. You know, I learned the hard way years ago, what happens when you stop taking care of yourself. Um, so fishing, riding horses, live music, uh, those are, and my family, obviously spending time with them. Sure. Uh, is, is, that's what I do. If I can get out on the water uh, when I get a little time off by myself and fish, or even with some friends, Uh, it resets my soul
1: sure
2: Uh, if i can go see some live music resets my soul it's just food for it right and obviously the horses we don't get to ride as much as we used to but uh that's one of the biggest things ever in my life that's brought uh peace and and to learn how to be fully present in life it's a really tough thing you get on the back of a horse you're fully present you're not paying attention to anything else right yeah and so everybody's got their own way of doing that stuff um and 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 i I always tell people that i work with you know and especially family members i'm going to guide you to a bunch of resources but i also want you to go get a freaking massage next week (laughs) you know what i mean take some time for yourself right you've been trying to manage and control this thing all these years and it's taken an extremely huge toll on every aspect of your life your finances your attitude your career your health your spirituality your thoughts your emotions All those things have been affected. So let's kind of reset. Let's get back to center and start working on you because that's all we have control over.
1: Absolutely. All right. So we are, we're about four minutes from the top of the hour. What I'd like to do, if you will humor us is, um, you are about to be, uh, get a phone call from someone who is desperate. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They've given up hope. In three minutes, give us what you would tell that individual to give them hope that there is a possibility that things will change and not only change, but get better.
2: Wow. That's a tall order because I don't have time to find out what's going on with the person. Sure. sure right. Sure. Um, I would say that- uh, Is the person a drug
1: addict? No, the person is a family member.
2: This is the family. Yeah. So the first thing I would tell them is I'm super sorry uh, for what they're going through. Because it's, it's all-consuming. It's really tough. And, that, and I've been through it with a loved one myself. And I found out exactly how all-consuming and tough it is. And I ruined trying to fix it on my own. And now I do something different to try and help people so they don't screw it up. Right? Let's do this thing one time. Let's do it right. And let's hopefully get your loved one in a better place. And no doubt we're going to get you in a better place no matter what. If you're willing to listen and learn. And so keep an open mind. Let's create a unified front. Let's talk to the people that that are surrounding your loved one. And I don't care if they're mad or not. I don't care if they're done with this person or not. Let's get them on the phone. Let's get them on a Zoom call. And let's just talk about what's going on. And let's see if between all of us, we can come to a point where we're willing to give it one more shot. We're willing to sit down with this person with love and respect. And let me guide you guys through writing a letter that that shows that love and respect and then let me talk to this guy or this girl let me approach them from a recovery standpoint let me help them understand that there's hope for them because if it weren't for the people who helped me I wouldn't be alive today there's just no way that I would be here and so if you'll let me guide you if you let my team guide you, we can walk you through a process that will that you will find peace if you're willing to listen and learn. And you're also going to give your loved one the best chance ever at getting better and staying better for the long run. That's about it.
1: Pretty doggone good, my friend. It is pretty doggone good. Pretty doggone good. All right, Drew, do you have anything else that you'd like to bring up, talk about?
0: No, thank you. Thank you for doing this twice. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Thank you for the work that you do.
1: You're a trooper, man. Thank you
2: i'm glad to help and you know anything we can do to to get it out there right there's a lot of good help out there we just got to be willing to ask for it just like we had to be willing to finally surrender to our own addiction and be willing to let people guide us it's just the same thing right it's just from a whole family perspective Yep,
1: i love it man you're the best thank you so thank much you, thank you Thank uh individual our listener uh clear path interventions uh you can find brad uh, you can find him on the uh, we're friends on facebook the facebook yeah you can tap into us and and we'll direct you there or whatever reach out to us we'll get you in contact with brad whatever you need we're here to help so brad thank you so much thank you for your time we're going to let you go thank and you um it. it's been a pleasure thank you brother
2: hang in there talk to you soon i'll order send me a link text me a link so i can order some sweatshirts
1: you got it thanks brother
2: absolutely take it easy. all right bye bye